0: Welcome to the Faith FaithCov Podcast. We are glad you're here today. May God bless you in order for you to be a blessing to those around you. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, my name is Peter. I work for the conference and for the denomination. And um, I actually have been uh, working with uh, Kurt and Cindy and other staff over these years. Uh, Some of you, most of you maybe not know that. Um, And so I feel connected to this church, and I don't know uh, most of your names, but um, I've heard all of the complaints, so. (laughs) I kid, I kid. Um, I want to share a word with you that... I think has become very powerful for me. It's become a kind of true north for me. And um, I, I want to take like 25 minutes to do it, but it could become 45 if you're not responsive and I have to repeat myself. And so um, I need to see facial expressions at the least. Uh, but if you have like grunts or little sounds you make, that'd be great too. Uh, but uh, just kind of push me along. So we can, we can all do the TED Talk thing and be done and move about our day here. Um, the title of the talk today is The Only Thing That Counts. Um, and it's just one verse, and uh, it's from Galatians 5, 6. I'm turning 50 this year. Uh, I'm going to be running my, uh, hopefully, last marathon, the New York City Marathon, which I've been meaning to run. Uh, I was able to register a few weeks ago. And so that's kind of getting squared away, uh, speaking of marathons that Cindy mentioned. Um, but 50 is the first number that I'm feeling. Uh, I just haven't felt any other birthday before. You know, it was just kind of meaningless. Or, uh, But I really feel this for some reason. Like even last night, I was lying there trying to fall asleep, and I just started making a list of all the things that hurt or are broken in my body. It was a long list, like from just self-inflicted wounds to just repetitive stress from overusing my body to genetic stuff I've inherited to conditions that my family just has and I fear I'm going to get. It was just, it wasn't helping me fall asleep, you know? And then uh, on top of that, there's all these revelations of the pandemic I've been calling it, things I've just learned and um, the, the church and the faith is kind of being called out for some of its uh, bloat and its bunk, and we want to know what really is life about. What is the faith about? You know, there's just, there's been a lot of layers that we've had to peel back through the pandemic. That's what stressed us, That's what duressed us. and so that's why the title is what it is, The Only Thing That Counts. I don't want to waste, uh, you know, last third of my life or whatever I got left on the things that don't count. And on top of that, the pandemic showed me a lot of things actually don't count. There's just a few things that really do matter. Two kids in college, uh, two on their way at some point, and, uh, you know, life is short. And so I want to share that word with you. So this is a point of clarity for me. Uh, One way to talk about this is the way Jesus talked about it. Jesus said at some point when he was confronted, he was doing some questionable things and they said, who gives you the authority to do these things? And he said, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. And they were like, we've spent decades building this edifice and you're going to, what, rebuild it in three days? But of course, Jesus wasn't talking about The physical temple made of stone, because God, we know, is not in a temple of stone. Jesus, He's the temple. Right? And I think our human tendency is to conflate human temples of stone with God Himself. We sort of get invested and we build these things. You know, we write things out, we make lists. Of all the things that are right and all the things that we think are wrong, we draw lines and we say, this is the temple. This is where God is in these set of beliefs, in this sometimes physical structure, in these precious things, maybe not calf-shaped, but certainly made of precious metals. And we say, this is God. And Jesus said, that is not God. God is not in the man-made temples of stone. He's not in this building. I'm going to say some things that initially might hit you as a little bit heretical. But if you think about it for one more second, you sort of stave off the defensive defense mechanisms and not feel threatened and sort of reflect for a second. You'll see it's actually maybe true. Like, for example, God is not the Bible. There's bibliolatry. That's a thing. Where we conflate a book with God Himself. God is not the church, and the church is not a building, and the church is not an organization. It's not a 501c3. God is not the statement of beliefs. God is not contained in our worship liturgy. He is not in man made temples of stone. There's only one thing that counts as far as God is concerned. So I want to share that with you today. Um, and I think we're so invested in these temples of stone that we, we, we sort of um, can forget what God, what God is, what God is about, who we are, what we're supposed to care about, what our mission is. So if we can go to the next slide, let me read the passage for us. Galatians 5, 6. Ready? For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, and listen to this next phrase, has any value. The only thing, and if you really want to sort of like get down to the thing that matters, here it is. The only thing. The phrase that comes after the only thing is really important. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, when's the last time you thought about circumcision? (laughs) This is not a thing that's on our minds. But for folks in Paul's time, when he was writing to the church in Galatia, it was a really big deal. What you believed, and then consequently what you practiced, what you preached about circumcision, was salvific for them. Like this was an issue that divided them. And it caused them to draw a thick black line, a border that decided if you were in or if you were out, if you were sacred or if you were profane, if you were God's beloved or if you were God's damned. I'm telling you, you laugh now, but this was the issue. Circumcision. I mean, truly, when have you last thought about it? When have you last thought about it from a theological perspective, from a salvation perspective? When was it ever relevant in the church? And yet, these people, the the church in Galatia, fought tooth and nail over this topic. This was the issue of their time. And yet, Paul dares to say, to this church, that whole show has no value. Think about that for one hot minute. Can you think of things that just feel like it matters so much? Pretend we live in a polarized, divisive society right now. Just imagine it. There is a chance, given precedence, that some years from now, Christians will look back at us thinking, intellectual, moral, God honoring people and say, What? Are you serious? I am very wisely and cleverly mentioning no specific issues. (laughs) You can populate that blank with whatever is near and dear to you. I grew up in New York City. You touch the third rail, you fry. So you touch it if you want to. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I can look back on my life where I did a lot of things for Jesus, in Jesus' name, that were not faith expressing itself in love. But it was really my faith expressing itself in anxiety, in fear, in insecurity, arrogance, confusion. Just a short list, but it wasn't love. I remember a couple of things, and these are not things that's gonna. Kurt's ears are a little thicker than mine. All right. Um, These stories are not uh, stories you're gonna even remember, but these are things I can't forget, because this is from my life. Um, I was asked to do one of my best friend's brother's weddings. And I found some tiny little reason I felt like I couldn't do it. You know, and uh, we're still friends. We still hang out with each other. We travel to each other's towns. He lives in California. And I, I told him, I said, I so regret not doing your brother's wedding. Why didn't I do it? What was I thinking? And then I remember I wrote a letter to my sister once. I have three sisters. I wrote a letter to one of them. And I just started talking about ways that I thought she should set her life straight. Yeah, exactly. You think it's ridiculous now, and there was bad tactic or whatever, not the best strategy. But in that emotional vortex of my thoughts, it was like the Jesus thing to do. Like I I had to do it. I felt a sense of obligation a moral obligation. And we all sort of get sucked into uh, these binary, falsely dichotomized ways of thinking. Like, I have to do it. If I'm a Christian, then I have to. But it's not faith expressing itself in love. It's anxiety, fear, insecurity, arrogance, or confusion. And maybe some other things. It's us trying to help God. It's us trying to do God a favor. It's us adding to something. But it's actually detracting more than anything. We think our integrity is on the line, but it's, it's really bringing the Gentiles to blaspheme God. It did not draw any of these people in my life closer to God. It, they did not experience love. They did not say, I've never met Jesus, but I've met Peter. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. It's not like uncircumcision has value. Circumcision doesn't have value. Neither of them have any value. That whole thing, that way of thinking about it has no value. Because neither of those things is faith expressing itself through love. It was about something, but it wasn't about love. That's what Paul is saying. And so the litmus test for our faith in God is love. If your faith doesn't express itself through love, it doesn't have any value. It's not saying those things don't have value, but those things have value in so much as they are Used, employed, in service of, in support of love. There's there's an order to this thing. Love is primary. Everything else is in service of the primary. That's called secondary. How do we forget this? Why do we not understand that that's the whole point? And so here is what the scriptures teach us. Slide, next slide. That loving God is exactly the same thing. And this is, it's going to hit you a little, maybe heretically. Loving God is the exact same thing as loving your fellow human being. They're not separate things. The way you express love for God and that you are loved by God is by loving other people. And I'm going to show it to you. Uh, just There's a lot of scripture today just because I don't want you to think I'm heretical. Because it, it just feels like it for some reason. It's, maybe it's the way I was raised. It just feels like Christianity needs to be Padded with a lot of things. It, it can't possibly be this simple. And yet, maybe it is. Yeah, so here's some verses. Here's one from uh, Galatians 5 again. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as a covering, uh, as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So, you know, when you see. Verses like this, and then they like somebody says something, and there's a but. The word but, what comes after that is the point, right? But through love, serve one another. For listen, the whole law, the whole law is fulfilled. Not like almost the whole law, the word almost actually, even in the Greek, is not there. The whole law is fulfilled in one single word. Again, the only thing. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Um, I don't know how much of the pain of life you've personally experienced. But you know, at some point, there are explosions in your life. You come sort of crashing down. And what happens through all of that pain and uh, trauma and shock and surprise and uh, despair is you kind of come out of it with a few redemptive things. And one of the key redemptive uh, gains from anything you go through is, uh, I think, it's empathy. Your heart gets soft towards other people. You start just feeling things you didn't feel before. And you realize that we're all in the same boat. And no matter how much better you are, you're not that much better because we're all sort of the same. That's what you realize. God's given us all the exact same number of screws. We sort of have them allocated differently. So some of us are like better at math, but then those who are good at math kind of are bad at, you know what I'm saying? Same number of screws. And so you you sort of get empathy. That's what this verse says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's empathy. You begin to understand that they're just as worthy of love as you are. They're just as in need of acceptance and belonging and a second chance and a third chance as you. That we're all just trying to meet our needs, even if illegitimately. We're still trying to make it. And so you have empathy. You love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And you know, they were, these, these, this church was biting and devouring one another over the circumcision issue, the issue that has no value. They were willing to kill each other They were willing to break the relationship. They were willing to harm human hearts. Like break hearts, break fellowship. They were willing to put these issues above the person. Watch out that you are not consumed. By one another. If you're slinging, slinging mud, guess who has the mud that you just slung? Well, they do. What do you think they're going to do with that mud? So you end up devouring one another. You too will be devoured. That's how that works. Next verse. Matthew 22. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. Pause here on this phrase. In, uh, you see this a lot in the Old Testament, but you see it in the New Testament too. The Hebrews, when they wanted to emphasize something, they said it again, and they say it a little differently. And you see that all the time and in the Old Testament. It's not saying they're two separate things. They're saying one thing in two different ways to emphasize that one thing. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. That means a second is it also. It's equating the two. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's empathy again. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. And Paul in Galatians was just uh, reiterating This exact same idea. To love God is to love human beings. And then we have in Ecclesiastes, the end of the matter. Again, getting to that singular singular idea. All has been heard. That's the whole law. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. That's the same thing. Love, love God, love neighbor as yourself. And then Micah 6. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Will the Lord be pleased if I don't do my best friend's brother's wedding? Will the Lord be pleased if I write a well-intended but really stupid letter to my sister? If I, if I create just awkwardness and I, if I have a wounding effect on others, will the Lord be pleased? If I draw lines very clearly and tell people they're out based on my understanding, will God be pleased? If I feel easily threatened, will God be pleased? If I'm judgmental, will God be pleased? If I sacrifice everything, will God be pleased? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. I, I don't know about you, but um, one of the sort of uh, reflections as I look back on five decades is at the end of it, I think I'm just after empathy and humility. I think if I can sort of bring that to bear, whatever's happening, I think like the relationship stands a chance, and God stands a chance of being honored and worshipped through whatever is happening in that moment. No matter how challenging, no matter how painful it is, I think God can be worshipped if I can bring empathy and humility. Here it is. Love kindness and walk humbly. So uh, two application points. And then a choice you have to make. And then we close. Okay, the first application point is the next slide. Get low. Get low. Uh, Passage from Luke. Luke. Next slide. Luke 14. Jesus turned and asked the Pharisees and the teachers of the law of Moses. Now, when um, when Luke tells us that, he's talking about the whole law again. He's talking about religion. So religion is asking, is it right to heal on the Sabbath? I mean... Uh, that's the question that they have, and Jesus is going to answer this. But they did not say a word. Jesus took hold of the man, then he healed him and sent him away. This is on the Sabbath. Afterwards, Jesus asked the people, if your son or ox falls into a well, wouldn't you pull him out at once, even on the Sabbath? Next slide. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So this... The reason the Sabbath is so important, there's 26 times that Jesus talks about the Sabbath in the Gospels. It's a really important law. Some would say it's the the cornerstone law. It's the way that we express our trust in God. That it's his valuing of us, not us generating value by our uh, production. That we don't have control, but that we are uh, given worth. Apart from our works, it's the whole idea, and the Sabbath was the way we express that we cease or we stop. I'm still loved. I'm still gonna be okay, right? That's that's the whole thing. And so they were saying, if you break the whole, if you break the most important law, what happens? And Jesus says, the most important law, and in that he's saying all of the laws. They exist to support human beings. Human beings don't exist to serve these laws. These laws were created in the first place. The original intent and spirit and meaning and purpose and aim and telos of these laws was to help you live a flourishing life. That was it, that's why they were created. And so the idea is to really get low because if you ever have to choose between the law and a son or even an animal, an ox in the ditch, you still have to save life because the law exists for them. And so to let them die in service of the law is absolutely backwards. Another way to say that is if you ever have to choose between a human being and your religion, your laws, you have to choose the human being. You have to choose the person. You have to choose the relationship. You have to serve human flourishing. Does, does it hit you a little funny? Does it feel sound heretical? A little scary? But, 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 and you have these scenarios that come up. So get low, get into the ditch, even if it's an animal. He's included the ox, can you believe it? We know this in the Pacific Northwest. I love my dog. I spent an hour with my dog this morning. I heated up ground beef. I mixed it in with his very expensive kibble. And then we had some rice left over, so I sort of threw that into the pan with the beef. I mixed it all up, and then I sprinkled... Ground up dried pumpkin pumpkin seeds on it, and then I took him to the field, and I picked up his poop with my hands. What was I doing? I was getting low. I was practicing Christianity. Secondly, uh, get close. Next slide. Get close. And here's passage, a passage out of 1 John. And I like this. This one really makes it clear. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has not seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. You know why this is such a good passage? Because Christians love to say, I love God, but ugh, human beings, but my neighbor, my, my neighbor across the political spectrum, are they, are they, are they even human? <laughs> they seem less so. You know, they think like that, they behave that way. How can they support what they support? That's ridiculous. It makes no sense whatsoever. But God, you're, you're amazing. You're the best. And so here John is saying, actually, the more you can see them, the easier it is to love them. So God being invisible is absolutely difficult to love. The easier love to practice is to love the thing you can see. And so loving a human being is actually easier. And so if you say you love God and hate your brother, you're a liar. That's not true. That does not make sense. If you actually love the person you can see, that means you give yourself a shot at loving the thing that's less visible, which is God. And so you got to get really close to see the person. One more verse to uh, underscore this point. Genesis 16, verse 13. Human beings, they experience revelations of God in seasons and in waves. And so the very first human being to experience Yahweh and because of her experience gave God a name through the revelation of that experience was who? Anybody know? Who gave God the very first name for God in the Bible? Hagar. Hagar was the slave woman of Sarai. It wasn't Sarai yet. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of a horrific story. I'm not sure who's all in the room, so I won't go into it too much. But let's just say she was substantially abused, so much so that she ran away because she had absolutely no recourse. She was invisible. She was property. She had no rights. And then in the wilderness where she went to effectively commit a double suicide, there she was seen by God. God somehow communicated to her, I see you. And so she has that experience. She's healed, and she gives God a name. And she says, I will call you El, which means God, El, Roy. Roy meaning sees me. So it's the God who sees me. That's God's first name. I am nothing and a no one. I'm absolutely powerless and invisible in this society, and you saw me. I have now seen the one who sees me, she says. In Genesis 16, you are the God who sees me, El Roy. And so this is your job as you get low, is to get close and really, truly see the person in front of you. The easy thing to do is to dehumanize them is to objectify them, is to other them. They're not like me. Therefore, they are less than human. They don't have the same feelings. They don't have the same hopes. They don't have the same story. They somehow matter less than me. They count a little bit less. I get to prioritize myself. And Paul says, think of them as more important than yourself. That's Philippians. So lower yourself Jesus lowered himself, right? Philippians 2. And then get really close so you can see. See them as they really are. Hear their story. See their humanity. Um, So here's your last choice. Uh, If you study the science or sort of decision-making... Um, Our brains, and I think animal brains too, it's wired that even if uh, issues are very nuanced and complicated and there's lots of choices, lots of ways to think about it, angles and all that, when it comes down to the moment of decision, our brain has to make a binary decision. This is what the studies show. We have to do one of two things. Even if we're considering 10 options, at some point it has to come down to two, And we go left or right, up or down, in or out. And so I'm telling you, as you navigate human beings, as you walk out of here and you deal with other people, you're going to have a choice before you, and it's going to be one of these two things. Next slide. It's going to be judge or love. At some point, you're going to either judge him or her or them or you're going to choose to love them. You're going to get really, really low and you're going to get close. Or you're going to stand far, you're going to turn your chin up and you're going to judge him. It's going to be A or B. I'm telling you, that's how it works. I was driving over here, and there was, a, there was a car. It was a Subaru Outback wagon. It cut me off, and I had to brake. And when you have to brake on the highway, do you get happy? No. You get deeply offended. Somebody made you lift your foot. And so I, I'm, I'm, like, tracking this car now. Like, my brain has decided this is the, this is the bobcat that's going to eat me, right? And so my, my, my primitive brain is tracking this judgmental word, right? This, this subpar human being. <laughs> and then it's, it's going, trying to pass on the right lane another car. And then it realizes it's an exit-only lane. And then it signals left but doesn't see the car in its blind spot, which was a Cadillac SUV. So it's going to be a Cadillac versus a Subaru, and it presses into the lane, and so the Cadillac moves out of the way, and then it you know, does that jerking back because it realizes what's happening, and I thought I was going to see an accident. And at that moment, my choice is to, I'm telling you, judge or love. The guy in the Subaru, I'm pretty sure it's a guy. <laughs> this this person either is a terrible human being, like absolutely awful, or it's like my dad. You know? You know what I mean? My dad is human, and I've been in his car, and it's scary. It's your choice, judge or love. So here we go, we end now uh, with Galatians 5, one more time. Through love, through love. It's not through some ethic you have. It's not through some theology you have. It's not through some religion you serve. It's not through your own sense of self-righteousness or some justification. It's through love. You serve one another. Love, empathy, humility. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, the only thing that counts. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Will you pray with me? God, we have so much to be humble about, so much to be grateful for, and yet we present so arrogantly so often. God, forgive us for our well-intentioned foolishness and help us to really get low to where people are at, even if in the ditch, and get close so we can see as you see and see with your eyes. And we can love fellow human beings with priority above everything else. And in so doing, worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the faith cove podcast our music was written performed and produced by adam johnson for more information about our church community visit faithcovesumner.com until next time